Your patient is on an anticoagulant you've never heard of. Now what? That's the question for this episode of Country Hits, Rural Trauma from the Scene to the Emergency Department. I'm Jonathan Kohler, a pediatric surgeon, pediatric trauma medical director, and your host for this short podcast series. I've brought together two experts who can help us make sense of the alphabet soup of modern anticoagulants and what to do with patients who take them, Drs. Scott Zakaluzny and Daniel Nishijima. Scott is a trauma and acute care surgeon and assistant professor of surgery at the University of California, Davis. He's also a colonel in the U.S. Air Force. Daniel is an emergency medicine physician and professor and vice chair of research in emergency medicine at the University of California, Davis. Here we go. Well, Dan and Scott, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about head injuries and novel anticoagulants. Often when we think about novel we think about head injuries, we think about bad places to bleed, but I don't think we need to view those as all necessarily part and parcel. Like I, th- I think what we really want to talk about is the role that anticoagulants play in just the way that we think about trauma patients and our management of trauma patients. Maybe most frequently we're going to be thinking about that in the head, but in general, like it's just good for patients to clot and it's bad if they don't. And so let's, let's dive into that question of, you know, how do we think about the role of anticoagulants, be they the, you know, the old standbys of, you know, everything from aspirin to warfarin. And then how do we think about this sort of glut of new and not so new agents that are doing um, anticoagulation in lots of different ways, some of which are obvious and reversible, and some of which are not obvious and not so reversible. I'll, I'll start because as a trauma surgeon, I only see the consequences on the negative side. And so obviously, somebody comes in, you know, my job is to kind of stop the bleeding. I think Daniel probably sees both sides. He sees the, the not that I'm obviously aware strokes occur, but he sees the stuff that the goal is to be these medications that prove prevent these problems and treat some other issues. That's such a great point. Cause I think, yes, let's, let's, t- let's pause and recognize that there's a role for these medications, right? And that much as we as trauma surgeons view them as an, a uniform evil, like we are, we are keeping stroke patients out of the hospital potentially with these medications. Right? Yeah. And I frequently give a lecture about this topic, reversal agents, uh, you know, reversal of, uh, you know, anticoagulants and antiplatelets in trauma. And, and this is a topic I have to, it's a pretty exciting topic and I like it because it's, it's ever changing. I, you know, I frequently have to update my slides because there, uh, there's a new FDA approved agent for reversal. And so it just, it's, it's, it's been a very dynamic field, you know, in medicine the last decade. So it's been very exciting. Let's just talk about the, how we approach a trauma patient. So, you know, 65-year-old woman with a history of AFib who comes into the emergency department and, you know, has a blown pupil and has a, a remarkably bad head bleed after a ground level fall. Like, and how do we think about that both in the situation where we know that they're on an anticoagulant before they arrive? And then also, you know, when, when, and how do we try to figure out if this patient's anticoagulated because the the amount of bleeding we're seeing just doesn't make sense. Oftentimes it's not that obvious, like as far as like how bad a head injury they have, the blown pupil, et cetera. Um, Oftentimes it's, we have a lot of old people, they fall, they come in and you're always asking EMS, you know, are they on anticoagulation? You know, did you ask for implabs? Do you know of any of those medications? Because you're obviously, you're 
concern for bleeding that you can't control is higher. I think that's that's it. You're like you always want to know that information. That's like a question that you ask. You can get the whole spiel from the EMS, and the question you ask is, "Are there any anticoagulants?" That and maybe like their um, advanced directives. Yeah, and I think I think one other point too is that you know with the reverse, you know when they're on these anticoagulants, and we decide to reverse the the anticoagulation. It doesn't stop the bleed. And I think I think a lot of clinicians forget about this. Whether you use a darazuzumab or Dexanet, you are essentially making the patient normal. Basically, you're neutralizing the anticoagulant effect, but you're not stopping the bleeding, right? So if you're bleeding from a ruptured spleen or if you're, you know, if you have a bad subdural hematoma, that still exists. The drug, the reversal agent does not take away the pathology there. And so you still have to take the patient to the operating room. You still need to treat the disease first, right? And the the, the reversal agents just help you normalize the patient. Right. So it's, it's not like, and Scott, you'll know more about this as a military surgeon, right? It, these aren't procoagulant drugs, right? This is not like the same thing as like quick clot that you're throwing on a bleeding wound or a bleeding organ, right? This is just get you away from being completely anticoagulated. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, how do we manage most head bleeds, the traumatic head bleeds? The vast majority of them, you do, you know, neurologically, they're okay. You know, you repeat the CT scan in four or six hours. If it's stable, that's all you do. Most of them don't get surgery because the body's clotting system works. So what you're getting them back to, as Daniel said, is like, it doesn't prevent the epidural, the subarachnoid, whatever is already there. What you're trying to do is get the body to be able to do what it's normally designed to do, which is to prevent further decline or worsening of the bleed. It's enough of a concern that when we know that a patient is anticoagulated from a, even a ground level fall, like that actually changes the nature of the response when they arrive in the emergency room for us, right? Like a ground level fall in a 20 year old and a ground level fall in an 85 year old with a valve replacement on Coumadin is very different. And, and it's because you, you need to muster the resources so that people are aware of the fact that they're prone to bleed. Let's just sort of create a hypothesis here, a hypothetical patient. This 65-year-old woman who comes in to the emergency department, and what you hear from EMS is like, yeah, we heard that she's on some kind of anticoagulant, and we don't know which one. Where do you start in trying to understand that? How, how do you approach the patient on the unknown anticoagulant? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, I mean, you can call family and try to figure out exactly which anticoagulant they're using. I think the timing of, of when they took that last dose of anticoagulant is also yeah. important. I think we forget about that sometimes, right? So, yeah. the, you know, the half-life for the direct oral anticoagulants typically is, you know, 12 hours roughly, right? Some, there's some variance between the various different types of uh, direct oral anticoagulants. And so, roughly about five five times the half-lives would, would place you at, it would basically make you normal, right? The drug would be out of your system. And so, you know, that's, that's anywhere between two to three days, right? So I think, you know, I see some folks rushing to give reversal agents when they haven't been, they haven't taken their anti, direct anticoagulants, you know, for a week, right? You don't need that in that particular case. So the history here is very, very important. You know, which, which anticoagulant you're taking, when was your last dose, you know, and what the indication you're taking it for is, is also very important, right? I'm much more reluctant to reverse somebody that has, is, is you know, maybe taking warfarin for mechanical valve, right? Versus uh, a patient taking a DOAC for AFib, right? Where the exposure to uh, not being anticoagulant 
anticoagulators much, much less, right? For these, for the patients with AFib, right? It's like roughly about 5% of stroke per, per, per year, right? So if you, if you have a exposed period for, you know, a couple of days, then that's, that's much less worrisome than being exposed on a mechanical valve without any anticoagulation, right? So, so I think the history is, is very, very important. And, and we actually looked at this, uh, you know, we did a, we did a study where we had EMS providers and we, we saw what they recorded in terms of what type of antiplatelet or anticoagulant they recorded on their, on their run sheets. And then we compared it what what the patient was actually reported in the hospital. And the bottom line from this study was that EMS providers were really great at identifying warfarin. They were not so great at identifying aspirin, clopidogrel. And we actually had a study where clopidogrel, I mean, bleeding on clopidogrel is bad. And then uh, also, also they weren't great in, in picking up the, you know, the direct or anticoagulants. This study was probably about, you know, five years ago. So, so perhaps it's more readily identifiable, the, the direct or anticoagulants, but when that study was published, it, you know, I think that, you know, they weren't particularly apt to recognize which, which direct anticoagulants they were taking, but they were great in terms of picking up which warfarin. And I think, I think for many years, right, you know, head bleed, old patients ask about the warfarin, but, but less so for the other antiplatelets or other anticoagulants. And I think that's, I mean, part of the problem is, right, in the past five years, maybe we've gotten better at recognizing, you know, the, the drugs that were around five years ago, but now there's like, I can't keep track. I mean, and admittedly, I'm in pediatric surgery where no one is on these things, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's word salad to me. So it's, it's so hard. And, and it's, there's new ones, it seems like all the time now. It used to be like, you were on an aspirin, maybe you were on Plavix, and, you, and then there was warfarin. And now it's a dizzying array of, of alphabet soup. Another way the history can be helpful for you if they don't know is what are they on it for, right? So if you have somebody who, you know, oh, I, oh I, I take an antiquity, well, what do you take? And it's like, well, I don't know, what is it for? Mm. Oh, I, mean, I have stents. And, and then that you still want to figure out, but you're more likely, okay, it's probably not Coumadin or one of the novel or antiquity, it's probably a Plavix or an aspirin or both. So that's sometimes the history can help you. If they're on it for AFib, Oh, I have a, a irregular rhythm, or they tell you they're on AFib, they have AFib, that's probably guides you to the fact that you really need to figure out what they're, what they actually take. And again, when they took it, and they actually have to reverse it. I mean, is it reasonable? Like, if someone comes in and they say, well, I'm on a, there's an anticoagulant involved, we don't know what it is, we don't know when the last dose was, the patient has a bad head bleed. You can't really just say like, okay, well then just, we'll give them all the reversal agents, right? They'll get some PCC and they'll get some FFP and they'll get some cryo and the kitchen sink is not really an option, even for, for bad bleeds, mm -hmm. right? All right. Yeah. You do coag studies, um, you could send a tag and try it, but they don't always show up. The novel ones don't always show up on, on the studies, especially just the standard coags. Right. Yeah. For the most part, the st standard coags are just are completely useless and in, in especially with the direct or anticoagulants except for humidity. Yeah. Yeah, right. Except for yeah, with the direct or anticoagulants like it's there's not it's, it's not great. The one medication is the bigotran, right? So you can check you can check a thrombin time and it's very sensitive to detecting the the effect of the bigotran, right? So if you send the thrombin time and you have an if the the thrombin time is normal, the patient's not not being anticoagulated with dabigatran. What oral anticoagulants, or rather what reversal agents do we sort of have immediately on hand at this point? You know, for, for warfarin, say they have a 
catastrophic head bleed, you know, we have vitamin K and K Centra, which is four factor PCC inactivated, right? Which differs from, from FIBA, which is the, which has the activated factor seven. So, so again, warfarin is, you know, vitamin K. And again, if it's catastrophic and you really need to urgently reverse these patients, it's IV 10 milligrams. And K Centra is, it's, it depends on the INR as well as their, as well as their weight. And so there's a nice, you know, calculator that you can sort of use for the K Centra. It's important to point out that the vitamin K doesn't work immediately. And that's the reason you still get the PCC. Right. K is kind of the tail end when the PCC wears off. You're hoping the vitamin K kicks in so that you have something um, mm-hmm. later. That's a great point. Yeah. So vitamin K typically, you know, you have the, your two options are oral and then IV. And the IV typically works right around six hours or so. Yeah. And then the oral works at roughly about 12 hours or 12 hours to 24 hours. At 24 hours, both IV and oral are about the same. But, you know, the theory behind the IV is that it works about six hours quicker than the, than the oral. But that's a great point. It doesn't work. It doesn't work immediately, right? For dabigatran, we have dirazuzumab, which is a monoclonal antibody. It's a pretty easy dosing. The cost is not particularly expensive. It costs roughly about the same thing as a PCC. And then for the 10A agents, the, the direct or antagonist 10A agents, you also have an FDA-approved reversal agent, which is a Dexanet, which is a little bit more problematic because it's more, it's a lot more expensive. It's like $50,000. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's really crazy. You you just have it laying around like ready to expire in your Pixis. Yeah. So a lot of centers don't have it on hands because it's, it's so it's very very expensive. The dosing is very complicated. If you look at the pack, package insert, it depends on you know what their last dose was, you know which which one it is, and and you know the, you know so it's just it's there's a high and low dose. It's very com- basically the dosing is very very complicated. And then there's also that rebound effect too, right? If you look at the studies, there's there's a there's a rebound effect once you decide to give the give that reversal agent, you have to anticipate some sort of rebound as well too. And so, you know, how long do you give this, give this drug for? So you could end up with just that drug alone could be something like $75,000, right? And so, so at least at our center, we, we typically give FIBO for the 10A uh, inhibitors. So Rivaroxaban and Apixaban, we, we typically use, we, we use FIBO. To me, what this says is call your pharmacist, right? Like, <laughs> like don't, these are not things that we're just going to be having at the bedside available to just like shoot into anyone as they walk through the door. And, and also, right, like you make the point you need to be making that clinical decision of like, how bad is this bleed if I shoot the patient on Coumadin for a mechanical valve full of PCC, like what problem am I generating in, and, and is it worth it for, you know, a small amount of bleeding or is there another way to manage it? The other thing about like you, the pharmacists are helpful too, because like the FIVA, if you mix it incorrectly, like, so you're trying to mix it, you got to stir it. If you shake it, it, it all like, becomes like a congealed thing and you can't give it i've been down there with the pharmacist it's you know it's yeah getting the pharmacist involved is definitely uh because also going back to daniel said like when they took it will affect how much you want to give sometimes if it's days away you don't need anything and if they missed a dose or, or oftentimes people fall at night so they took it they take their medication in the morning they fall at night so when they took it will affect how much they want to give so call pharmacist, yes. Call your pharmacist. And then also like everything here seems like 
it depends on really knowing what was going on. Like this to me is, and, and you both talked about it, like just, just so critical that we not be working blind in the emergency department and in the OR, right? Like the role for EMS figuring out what medications these patients are on or, you know, us doing the detective work of, and, but taking the time to find out like, what are they on? What is their dosing? Um, if that's something we can figure out on scene or, you know, if not, then like you really, this is where you, you task someone with like finding the family to find out what these patients are on or calling their pharmacist or like doing, you know, all those sort of detective work things that, you know, we don't do for every patient. Right. But but if you're suspecting a novel anticoagulant, like this is where you really take the time to find that history. Yeah, it's, you're, I think, you you know, you bring up a great point is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, some things are black or white, right? There's some patients clearly have to go full press, reverso. Some patients are clearly have just a very minimal injury and you're not going to reverse these patients, but there's a lot of gray there. And, and I think there's certain patients, you know, maybe it's a small subdural and the GCS is 14 and you know they took their medication 12 hours ago and half the docs would give reversal agents and half wouldn't you know wouldn't and so i think there's a lot of gray area here um which is i i like that part of medicine where you have to sort of you know really kind of think through think and rationalize your decisions and, and think through these things and so that's why you know it's 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 a really fun management because it's there's a there's there's a lot of components to think about and you'll see a lot of variability probably in care we always think about the head bleeds and we see the head bleeds and and I, most of the time if they took their medication recently a lot of those they're going to get reversed because there's nothing else but we have like a lot of flank hematomas or buttock hematomas like people fall and those are the ones you're you know again and that person has a mechanical valve I might try to, you know, ride them through that more, you know, that depends how bad the hematoma is. So those, those are the ones that, you know, it's like, okay, we got to reverse them. Then you got to get them therapeutic again in that timing. So uh, the head bleeds, I don't know if it'd be 50, 50. I think you have most people on head bleeds give it a few people would try to hedge on some, you know, really small ones, but it's the ones where, you know, I had someone who I, I reversed them because their eye was, they were bleeding like here and like their eye was just kept swelling. And I reversed that patient because you, you could try to compress it, but it was obviously the skin started to get threatened and you're reversing, you know, expensive reversal agent for you know, an eye swell. It wasn't a head bleed. Um, whereas uh, plenty of times with like a flank hematoma or something like that, where someone fell and you try to do compression and kind of see how it, how it evolves. This seems like to a, a, you know, a good role for us as a level one trauma center to be a resource for the community too. Right. Cause like, we're we're going to be the people who are seeing the full range. We're the people who, you know, have emergency medicine medicine physicians who are constantly updating their slide decks about the newest anticoagulation agents. Like this is a place where like no one should feel like it's unreasonable to uh, to phone a friend, right? Be that your pharmacist or your friendly neighborhood level one center. Yeah, that's a great great point. I mean, I think you know when there's these again. You know, these decisions that are gray, I think, you know, involving the surgeon, the emergency medicine physician, the pharmacist, you know, some of your colleagues, I think if you have that, if you have that capability, uh, you know, utilize the resources. So kind of the poison control model, right? It was started by an ER physician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That communication is always, I mean, it's so important for all of this, right? In, in everything we talk about in, in this whole series, um, I think we always 
sort of wrap up with the note of, you know, don't be afraid to call. And, you know, we're not going to educate anyone in a 20 minute podcast about how to manage all of these possible variations and all of the drugs and all of the dosing, right? The message is try to figure out to the best of your ability what they're on and when they took it and why, and then be in touch, give us a call and, and, and let us help talk about what makes sense. Does, does that flank hematoma for, and a mechanical valve need PCC? Does that head bleed need reversal there or could they get reversal when they arrive to us? I mean, I think so many of these problems, you know, are something we can solve by, by just picking up the phone and having that conversation. And we're not going to be afraid here. I mean, I certainly am not going to be afraid to, um, to call a pharmacist and, and say like, you know, this is a medication I'm not familiar with. What do we do next? You know, the, the other important point I, I want to make too is, you know, for example, K-Centra is what's FDA approved for reversal warfarin, mm-hmm. you know, and then you also have, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, you have the reversal agents for the, you know, 10A and 2A inhibitors. But if you don't, if your site does not have that, you know, I think if you give any PCC, right, whether it's three-factor or four-factor, inactivated or activated, I think that that's better than, and you need to reverse the patient. That's better than nothing, right? And it's, and and I think it's you're still you're still adequately treating the patient, and so I think that that is fine as well too, right? And so so it doesn't have to be that exact. Again, if your site doesn't have that agent. You can. You're still going to be fine with some sort of PCC, and the PCC is better than than the um, FFP, right? I have a I have a great slide where you know you have the INR and these patients taking warfarin, and you know how much how many units of 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 FFP that you need to get them back to completely reverse, and it's you know it's sometimes it's seven ten liters of, of FFP, right? It's like you know 40, 40 units of FFP. There's no way you're going to get that into the patient, right? And so so it's just you know if you the PCC is so much easier to use than than, than FFP. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like if if you don't have a pharmacy or you're you're just wor- worried about you know these agents, you're not familiar with the the, the new agents. Is it reasonable to just give whole blood back in, in its various components, right? Can you give like FFP and platelets and cryo or is it, is that not enough? And it sounds like the answer is that's, that's not enough. Yeah. It's just, it just takes too long. It's just too much volume. Yeah. You can't do exchange transfusions for this problem. Yeah. And, and again, if you're trying to replace like whole blood, et cetera, you have to remember these patients really aren't usually massively trans, like massively bleeding. Because if they had something that was massively bleeding, if they're on an anticoagulant, they bleed that much. It's it's the head bleed that you can't compress. It's the flank hematoma where the skin is starting to get thinned out from the hematoma. These are, again, mostly we concentrate on the heads. So it's not a large volume of blood loss. So it's not like they're hypovolemic. And a lot of these patients have heart issues. So their their heart doesn't take you know, that a little bit of extra fluid, let alone the, the massive amounts it takes to reverse, uh, you even consider reversing some of these. That's a great point. Be the primary one. This has been so helpful and, and just such a good reminder of like, you know, how even complex pharmacology often really just comes back to like, the most important thing is get a good history, right? For this and, that and everything. But for people who want to know more about, you know, the details of these agents and, and the reversal options and to explore this space, where would you recommend 
looking? What, what's the, what, what are the resources out there for, for learning more about this? You know, this is a pretty well, this topic is pretty popular. So there's, you know, there's, there's various lectures out there and this is a pretty common, common lecture on the lecture circuit. Your web-based resources are also very, very useful. Um, there's, there's definitely going to be a section, particularly on on this. Many of the guidelines as well, too. You know, the AHA guidelines will, the chess guidelines will will directly uh, talk about this. And so, those are some great resources that you can really sort of delve into the studies, looking into these uh, this topic. Cool. And we can put links to that, all that stuff in the show notes. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a just an illuminating conversation. It's great to, to have you guys on the show and I hope we get, have a chance to talk again soon. Thanks. Great. Thanks a lot for having us. Country Hits, Rural Trauma from the Scene to the Emergency Department is a production of Wisconsin's South Central Regional Trauma Advisory Council. Go Badgers! If you enjoyed this episode, There are seven more, so check those out too. And please, rate and review the show so others can find it. Most importantly, tell your friends. This podcast is produced by me, Jonathan Kohler, and Ben Ethan, with production assistance from Terry Hoover. It's mixed and edited by the great J.P. Swenson. Special thanks to Lori Silverberg and Nicole Jennings at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and to Shin Hiroshi, Diana Farmer, Joe Galante, and Nate Cooperman at the University of California, Davis. And an extra special thanks to Dan Williams and the members of the South Central RTAC for deciding they wanted this podcast and what they wanted it to be about. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Mm